invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. God's Word comes to us from Genesis 18, verses 1 to 15. And this is the story now that Abraham has heard the news that he and Sarah will have a child. Now the news comes to his, his wife and the important response that we will hear from Sarah. It's a wonderful text about God's power and his authority and ability to do everything that he pleases. Let's pay attention to the reading of God's word this evening. Genesis 18 verses 1 to 15. The Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk, the calf that he'd prepared, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child? Now that I'm old, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. This has been the reading of God's word. I wonder if you've ever read these Old Testament stories and then compared them with the a hall of fame, as it's called in Hebrews chapter 11, and said, I don't know if I recognize all of the details of the Old Testament accounts, and then these wonderful banners, uh, these wonderful summaries of what God did and how he worked for those who trusted him in Hebrews 11. Listen to the, the summary of Sarah's faith in Hebrews 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. I want us to reflect this evening about Sarah's transformation. How does Sarah go from someone who laughs cynically at the promise of God, this time next year, you will have a baby in your arms. How does she go from someone laughing cynically at the promise of God, to someone who, as this text tells us in Hebrews 11, considered him faithful who had promised. It's a transformation that we need to be uh, 
changed by. It's a transformation that has to happen to us, and I'm praying that God will use His Word to affect this change in us. To see that transformation happen, we're going to see in our passage, we're going to see a, a strange setup to the promise first, a strange statement of the promise, and then finally a strange stiff-arming of the promise. It's a strange setup, strange statement, and strange stiff-arming of the promise. I am preaching a, a one-time sermon in the book of Genesis here, here as we begin. We are uh, reflecting on the book of Genesis um, in the church that I have come from. This text particularly uh, convicted me and, and gripped me, and I wanted to share this portion of God's Word with you this evening. A strange setup, a strange statement, and a strange stiff-arming of the promise. Well, we're in the middle of the story, so I'll recap very briefly. Uh, Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's a book of introductions. Uh, God introduces himself as creator, as one who powerfully just speaks and everything comes to being gloriously and beautifully. He sets Adam and Eve as the crown of his creation, and yet they reject his good gift. They doubt his goodness in creation, and they listen to the tempting voice of Satan, and he casts them out of the garden, and yet he makes a promise to them. You will one day have a son who will crush the head of the serpent. One day there will be a deliverer. But that promise is delivered in Genesis 3, and then there's been a long time of waiting. God's people have heard that promise. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the deliverer to Come, we're introduced also, there's a book of beginnings about God's people, God's family. His Old Testament people are introduced in terms of the patriarchs, Abraham and Sarah, come onto the scene. They're called from, in terms of what would be the known world, the furthest place away, Ur of the Chaldeans, way, way far away, and they're told to travel all the way through the known world into the land of promise. And they're told, you will leave everything that you know. You're going to leave your people. You're going to leave your family. You're going to leave your land and go to the place that I will show you. And then I will give all those things back to you, a people and a place of promise. And Sarah was young and she was beautiful when she heard this promise the first time. And Abram, we know from the story, is wealthy and he's honorable and he's strong in his young age in the sense that he can conquer kings in Genesis 14. But what happened with the promise of God? They've come across the world. They've trusted in God's promise. Where is the child? Where is the future people that God has promised this beautiful young wife has grown old as year after year she's waited for what God has said will happen. Combined between them, there's 190 years, 10 decades for Abraham, nine decades for Sarah. And yet God has come in Genesis 17 and he's told Abraham already, I'm going to give you a son. The one that you tried to accomplish through Hagar that's not going to be the son of promise. I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. And then he comes, and he wants now to tell Sarah about this promise. Well, it's a very strange setup in our passage, a strange setup for the promise. We see the Lord very clearly 
come in verse 1, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent. But then Abram lifts up his eyes and he says he sees three men. So it's, is it the Lord or is it these three mysterious guests? And the answer is yes in some sense. In the Old Testament, oftentimes people representing the Lord come. They look like a human being or they're a messenger from God and um, they are equated or they're, they are referenced, they are spoken of as the Lord. So you remember in the story of Joshua, he's coming to conquer in Joshua chapter 5 and he's stopped, right, by this man who's holding a sword, the captain of the Lord's armies. And he lifted up his eyes and he looked, behold, a man standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And this man says, you're asking the wrong questions. And by the way, take off your shoes. Just like the Lord spoke to Moses, you're standing on holy ground. The one here before you is representing the Lord. We see also from the way that Abraham rushes around in the details of our passage that he's in the presence of someone very great and very honorable. As I said before, Abraham would have been known in the whole land as the one who conquered kings. Chapter 14, he goes and he conquers all of the kings around him. He's a mighty man, and yet in the presence of these people, he's rushing around to prepare them a meal. He shows great honor and reverence. Let a little water be brought. Rest yourselves under the tree while a morsel of bread is brought. He rushes into Sarah. Quick, three sayas of fine flour. Knead it and make cakes. Notice how rushed he is in the presence of these people. Uh, in my experience, 100-year-old people do not run. Um, when I was visiting my grandparents, occasionally we would travel out to uh, South Boston, Virginia, and only very rarely would my grandmother, who was already in her 60s and 70s, run when something was wrong. It was only when something was burning in the oven that she would rush to do something because it was an important task. It was something that she cared about and she would rush to do what she needed to do. Well, this old man now is rushing around to prepare a meal. It's a big deal that he's treating these guests with this honor and reverence. There was no app-based deliveries. You could not call a pizza to be ordered. Anything that was prepared had to be prepared freshly there. And so Abraham rushes around and prepares these guests a great meal, demonstrating the honor that he shows these mysterious guests. Well, this is all a, a setup, a strange setup to the promise. And what are these guests? I mean, you're asking yourself, who are you? And why have you come, if you're reading this text? Who are you? Why have you come? What's the point? All this has been set up to what God will say. Well, we see, second, a strange statement of the promise. Verse 9, after Abraham has done all this work, he's a chef that's prepared this lavish meal for these honest, honored guests. He finally sits them down. He wants them to be refreshed. And they finally say to him, where is Sarah, your wife? In essence, we didn't come to talk to you. <laughs> we came to address your wife. Where is she? We have a message for her. As I said before, God's already made the promise in Genesis 17 to Abraham. He's already told him, you're going to have a son through Sarah. But now these mysterious guests come, 
and they have another audience. They want to speak to Sarah and address her, and they want specifically to see her response to this great promise. It's strange the way that they speak. They speak in the presence of Abraham, but they want very clearly for Sarah to listen and hear the wonderful news that they will bring. The guests now, in some sense, uh, step aside in the sense of how clear the text is. In verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time in the year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. The text brings in front of us again the great problem, the obvious problem with this promise. Sarah and Abraham were old, and she was beyond the years of giving birth. Maybe my favorite Pixar movie is Up, and the best, I think, of the Pixar introductions is that scene, if you remember, between Carl and Ellie um, Fredrickson as they're falling in love, and they have this adventure that they share. She keeps on saying, adventure is out there. She's anticipating uh, going off on this one adventure, and one of the adventures that they're looking forward to is adding a baby to their future. And then the story, there's no words, it's just all music, and uh, they anticipate looking forward to this baby. They set out the nursery and everything, and then the baby that they're anticipating uh, miscarries, and then it shows the story of them growing old together. Um, she is not able to make it up the, the hill uh, to the picnic place that they always used to go together. And the, the joy of the adventure being out there is replaced with great sadness as they grow old together. This is the great problem this text highlights and anticipates. Where is the promise of God? As Sarah and Abraham grow old together. Verse 11, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Sarah is in this story, anticipating her death, now coming to the close of her life and saying, Where are you, God? When you've made this massive promise to me of a people in the future, that will be more than the stars of heaven. Don't, don't I need one in order to accomplish your problem? Where, your promise, where are you? A strange statement of this promise in the midst of what seems humanly impossible. And so she laughs. She laughs at the promise of God. She's been rushing around making bread and preparing the meal for these mysterious guests. And now she hears the news that seems totally improbable and she laughs at God's promise. A strange setup to the promise, a strange statement, but now a strange stiff-arming against the promise of God. I'm imagining that move in football. I don't play tackle football, so I'm just imagining people who do that. 
Uh, and you know when someone's coming at you, you have the ball, you're trying to make a move, and they come at you, and you, you try to keep them away. You try to push them down and away from you. you you're trying to stiff-arm them such that they do not get to you and to the ball. And uh, Sarah hears the promise of God, and she laughs cynically. She keeps it at arm's way and, and asks herself, how could this possibly be? And I want to ask you tonight, why does she do that? Why is it that she struggles to believe if this is such a glorious promise of God? Why does Sarah disbelieve? Why does she laugh cynically at God's promise? She laughs at God's promise for the same reason that we do or for the same reason that unbelievers oftentimes laugh and reject the gospel. Unbelievers don't reject the gospel because it is such bad news. They reject the gospel because it's so, such good news. It seems too good for it to be true. For Sarah, she just cannot imagine how God could possibly accomplish this promise. She's saying to herself, if you were going to do this, God, if you were going to act in this way, where were you so many years ago? You should have acted when I was young and able and uh, able to accomplish what you have promised. Where have you been all of these years? And she says, I just don't see how you can do this. And so she laughs to herself. It's all so seemingly wrong at the end of her life to believe that God could accomplish this. She stiff arms because she's given up hope. If you've been a, a couple, we, we, we did go through a set of miscarriages. If you've been a couple who are expecting and anticipating children and child after child, you uh, were waiting that time when you were hoping you would become uh, pregnant together. And then you say goodbye to children and you grieve them. You know the grief of waiting for children. Or just if you've never been able to conceive, you know the seasons, month after month, praying and waiting and praying and waiting. And then the crashing lows of realizing maybe this isn't going to happen. Sarah is struck with the grief of wondering where God is and why he's not acted in line with his promise in the way that she thought he should have acted. Calvin writes about this. As often as we measure the promises and the works of God by our own reason, by the laws of nature, we act reproachfully toward him, for we do not pay him his due honor, except we regard every obstacle which presents itself in heaven and on earth as placed under the subjection of his word. See, God has made this promise. And cynically, Sarah disbelieves and says, I just don't see it. I don't see how and when this will happen. Her cynicism is real. Her bitterness is real at the end here of her life. And Sarah's just thinking this is too late. But notice the persistent promise of God. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. 
The timing that seems so wrong to Sarah is the perfect time for God to accomplish his promise. The thing that caused her to be cynical toward God and doubt that God would be able to accomplish his ways in the world is the very way that God will accomplish his purpose. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Have you neglected this week even the power and authority of the God that you serve? Have you forgotten that he can accomplish all of his purposes? That everything he's promised you in his word is stable and trustworthy and true? Have you cynically doubted that God can accomplish what he promises? Have you listened to the fears of your own heart? Well, I want to ask as we close, how does God treat people? I want to ask, how does this transformation happen? How does she go again from Sarah the cynic Sarah, the one laughing at the promises of God to the one who believed and was given power to conceive by faith because she believed he was faithful to his promise. How does God treat those who laugh? Well, he takes on flesh ultimately. And he dies for those who have not trusted. What will ultimately come of people who doubt like Sarah? God will have to come down in the weakness of human flesh and bear what Sarah and people like us deserve. He comes into our flesh. He dies for us. We're going to sing at the end of this service, all hail the power of Jesus' name. And that is a glorious song. But the way that Christ accomplished his glory, the way that he gets to rule and have authority over all things is because he came in the weakness, in that which seemed foolish to men. The preaching of that gospel is foolishness to those who do not believe. And yet God says, this is my way to glory. Romans 5, verses 6 to 8. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, it's because Sarah could not accomplish this promise naturally in herself that God chooses this moment in this way to reveal his power and his authority to her. You remember after Jesus had died, the unbelief of the disciples. He had told them over and over again, this is what's going to have to happen to me. The Son of Man is going to have to be rejected and be handed over into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. But he told them also, that's not the end of the story. The third day, the Son of Man will rise. And you remember the sadness of the disciples. They discussed the things that had happened on the road to Emmaus. And you remember that it says, we had hoped that this would be the one who would redeem Israel. And Christ starts to unpack to them 
how all of the scriptures were actually always a story about himself. And he says, you were foolish and slow to believe everything that was written about me. See, it's precisely at this time when all hope seems lost, when it seems like God's purpose has failed because the Son of God was betrayed and put into a grave that God does his best and most powerful work. It's nothing less than the thundering power of God to see Jesus hanging on a cross, anticipating his resurrection. It had to be this way. See, Sarah is a different person because she saw and she anticipated, probably after this story, the power of the one who made this promise to her. Have you forgotten this evening the good purposes of God to you? Have you cynically doubted and laughed that God can accomplish his work in your life? He has sent the descendant of Sarah into the world to be your redeemer and rescuer. And the time that seemed too late to accomplish his victory. He has done that, and he promises that he will be faithful to you, that he will accomplish resurrection glory through that which seems like foolishness and weakness. May we continue resting and trusting in Christ. May we put ourselves under the power and authority of his word and know as surely as Christ was put in a grave and resurrected in glory at the right time. He will come to rescue us as well in eternity and we will live with him in glory forever. May we be a people who believe this, who say, this is my whole life. This is everything that my trust is anchored to. And may we share this gospel with others as well and see God working at the appointed time in death and resurrection. Let's pray together. Lord, we do confess this evening that we oftentimes don't see how you could be working. We do think that something is too hard for you to do. Lord, we ask that you would break down our calloused, unbelieving hearts and you would set before us the glories of Christ. And we ask that that which seems foolish and too late in your powerful working would be the very means by which you glorify yourself. Lord, we need to see that there's nothing too difficult for you to do. And Lord, our faith needs to grow and increase. And we, we, we beg you, Lord, that you would accomplish this for your glory and for our good. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand in response to God's word by singing Trinity Hymnal 297, All Hail the Power of Jesus' name.
people of God loved by him, please hear him bless you this evening. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.